1: been a chaotic day there are angry customers at work your daughter misbehaved at school and you need to talk to the principal the car won't start that sort of day stop control reset take 10 deep breaths sing listen to soothing music walk into a garden and watch the birds The human brain is an efficient, pragmatic, functional engine of unfathomable complexity with the ability to invent, remember, project, and see relationships among people and ideas. I love my brain. I wouldn't even go to the mailbox without it. My brain has allowed me to function and prosper in this uber-complex modern world. But all too often, our brains run amok and drive us crazy. To retain sanity, we must not let our think-too-much-know-it-all brains overtake the castle. In this podcast, we will explore both our human and our animal consciousness and seek to understand why it is so vital to reach deep inside and listen to the nature self within. Valeria Tellez interviews John Turk, the author of Tracking Lions, Myth, and Wilderness in Samburu, The Raven's Gift, A Scientist, A Shaman, and The Remarkable Journey Through the Siberian Wilderness, among other titles. John Turk earned a PhD in Organic Chemistry in 1971 and was nominated by National Geographic as one of the top 10 adventurers of the year in 2012. Between these bookends, John co-authored the first college-level environmental science textbook in North America, followed by 30 additional texts in environmental, physical, and earth sciences. At the same time, he kayaked around Cape Horn and across the North Pacific from Japan to Alaska, mountain biked across the northern Gobi in Mongolia, and made numerous first ski descents and first rock climbing ascents around the globe. During extended travel in northeast Siberia, John's worldview was altered by Mulinat, a Siberian shaman, and his later books reflect these spiritual journeys. John has published four trade books, Cold Oceans, HarperCollins, In the Wake of the Joman, McGraw Hill, The Raven's Gift, St. Martin's Press, and Crocodiles and Ice Cream, Yulikon Press. Tracking Lions, Myth and Wilderness in Sumburu, Delves more deeply into a mind body spirit theme, supported by adventure storytelling, integrated with an anthropological view of the role of art and in mythology in human development. Meet John at johnturk.net. Here's the interview with John Turk.
0: In your own words, who is John Turk today? <laughs>
2: today? today. Well, John Turk is an old man, you know. <laughs> um, I spent uh, my early years as a chemist. I became an adventurer, um, high-end adventuring all across the globe in uh, the year 2000 i uh, encountered an old shaman Mulanat, uh, on the uh, koryak shaman on the coast of siberia and over a course of the next 5 years she altered my life by encouraging me to look at a world that as a as a chemist as a westerner as an adventurer i hadn't thought about looking into the world of the other world as she called it the spirit world the world of um a greater consciousness and that was 22 years ago and she altered my life to the point that that's what i've been involved in um Mm -hmm. since then
0: i love your stories your books we have talked before about so many other topics and today we'll be talking about the consciousness paradox from your perspective, and I have lots of questions here. But before that, you said something that caught my attention, aging and getting older. What insights have you gained from getting older, John?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it all comes down, there's a million questions that all come to the same answer. And that is living in the moment. Um, As a young person, you're full of this excitement of the path forward, what you're going to do, who you're going to be, all this mystery about yourself that you don't even know. But even at that point, contentment, um, ultimate peace within yourself comes from not living in the future, but living in the moment. I think when you get older, that lesson slowly sinks in over the decades. (laughs) And um, yeah, you can go there much more easily.
0: Yeah, I love this message, of course. It's one that's very profound and a lot of times very complex to understand for most people. With that in mind, what is to live in the moment? Is that just the idea of not dwelling in the past or projecting the future? Or there's more to it?
2: Well, this is what comes to what we're talking about today, which is the consciousness paradox. To be efficient, in a mechanical, technological world, or even in a hunting-gatherer world, it's essential, and that's the brilliance of the human brain, is that we look in the past, we look in the future, we take ourselves out of the present. Um, So if you're hunting, you know the habits of animals in the past, and you predict where they're gonna be in the future. If you're working in an office in a technological world, you have to remember what your clients and your business people have done in the past, who's good, who's bad, who will cheat you, um, who is honest, and how you're gonna deal in the future. So all of this is part of the brilliance of the human brain. Right. And as I said, I love my brain. I wouldn't go to the mailbox without (laughs) it. I I take (laughs) it with me wherever I go. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But the brain can drive you crazy. Living in the future, living in the past, worrying about who cheated you in the past or who was nice or who's going to be good or trying to figure out what this is going to happen, what the stock market is going to do tomorrow. All of those issues drive us crazy. And they get our brains spinning around in these crazy stories that our, our human self, I don't know exactly what an elk or a dog thinks, but I imagine that the elk does not think about the past and the future as we do. And so to find contentment, which is not the contentment of being successful, i.e. catching that uh, food for dinner or uh, making money in that office job, we have to get out of our human brain and step into our animal brain, which is to get out of the past and the future and step into the moment. What is the joy at this moment? I am sitting here talking to Valeria, whom I've talked with many times before, and she's become dear to me. I know the sound of her voice the tone of her voice, and this is all that counts right now.
0: What comes to me when I think about, you see, the thinking is interesting. You have a funny name. You say, the think-too-much-know-it-all brain. (laughs) We all got one. It seems like we're always thinking. Thoughts, they're always floating around. they always here. What is the alternative to thinking, John? Can we ignore our thoughts?
2: Well. I don't. I. I don't think we can totally ignore our thoughts. Um, I'm not uh, perfect. You're not perfect. <clears throat> my wife isn't perfect. Your husband isn't perfect. We're all human, and we're all functioning in this world. And in my view, I think it's dangerous to assume that we can always be in the moment all the time. Perhaps there were a few people in the world who could do that, Buddha and Jesus and a few others, but most of us live in the real world, and we, we're we human beings, and we can't become an elk. Mm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. So... Not too fast. <laughs> it, it, it's a balance. When I spent the five years in Siberia with Mulanat, it was much more than spending five years with Mulanat. It was spending five years with the Koriak people. And what I learned from them is that there were three pillars to our strength. One pillar was the shaman the spirit world, the journey to the spirit world, and that would be the pillar where you live in the moment. The other pillar is the hunter, the pragmatist, the person who brings home the meat, because we do need to eat, you see? (laughs) And then the third pillar is the tundra, the earth, mother earth, the ground beneath our feet stepping down and feeling the power of the earth rising up into your feet. Go outside and step out on a lawn or the beach or the forest floor barefoot and feel the energy of the earth. And whatever we do, if we keep returning to the foundation, Keep returning to that feeling of the heat of Mother Nature, the love of Mother Nature coming up through the very sensitive soles of our feet into our heart. That will always be the soothing. That will always be the constant.
0: I love that. And that sounds like a practice. I know you mentioned balance, but it's a practice of finding that balance, right, John?
2: Ah, uh, balance is a wonderful word. <laughs> um, I love the feeling of balance. Um, I'm an athlete. I, I ride my bike. I ski. The, the feeling of moving your center of gravity, moving your soul over a moving platform, over your skis, over your bicycle, Uh, One of my big exercises I do is to stand on an exercise ball, to get up and stand on a ball and feel your whole body, your knees, your ankles, your hips, your neck, your shoulder, everything responding to gravity. Gravity is part of mother nature. Open your heart to gravity and, um, and play with it. It's a game. So it
0: seems like we can apply that to life in general, balance in that sense of uh, sensing and being open, being present to everything that is here and not just certain things, isolated ideas, concepts, desires. With that in mind, do you see balance as a practice or an intention?
2: It's a practice. It's an awareness. Um, I used to, in, in one of my talks, hold up two signs called logic and magic. And we're always in the process of balancing between logic and magic. It's the consciousness paradox. It's another way of looking at what we've been talking about. So you're doing something very logical. You're um, paying your bills okay and then a raven or a hawk or an owl flies across your field of vision out the window and that's a little piece of magic and we have to pay our bills we have to pay our credit cards i do you do everybody does but at the same time we have to be always a hundred percent of the time aware that magic is flying around us all the time. And if that magic flies by and we don't stop and focus on it, then that moment of magic is gone forever. We can never retrieve it, we've lost it. So it's a continuous process that every moment while you're taking, you're washing your dishes, you're paying your credit cards. You, I think, it pays to be aware that there might be magic happening right around you. And if you're attuned, it might just be one of your kids tugging at your this the hem of your skirt or your shirt or whatever and saying, "Mama or Dada, uh, something blah blah blah." Look at the frog I just caught, and you can say. You know, essentially, hey, don't bother me, I'm balancing the checkbook. Or you can stop and you can look at the frog. And then you've had that moment of magic become. So it's a process of constantly being aware that the magic is happening and we can't let the mechanics of our day-to-day life interrupt that too much.
0: What comes to me is almost like the presence of the invisible, the spiritual world. It's here. It's not hidden. We can actually experience it in a way. And with that in mind, I have a question for you about awareness and consciousness. Are they one and the same, John, from your perspective?
2: Well, consciousness has always been confusing to me and for decades I've avoided talking about it. But consciousness as I understand it, is an awareness of yourself. And I'm aware that um, I'm John Turk, and then I define myself. I define myself, I was a chemist, I'm a white man, I'm an old man, I have this much money, I ride my bike. I define myself in some way, and then I have this relationship with all these other entities in the universe. And awareness, in a sense, steps you out of that consciousness and just puts you into the moment. And when you ask me who I am, you asked me at the beginning of the talk, who is John Turk? And I said, well, I'm this guy who got a PhD in chemistry. That's not awareness. Awareness is what's happening right now, and that's dealing back in the past. And I, I did that, you asked the question, and that's part of what I do as a writer to promote myself. I tell people who I am, but um, the the joy, the, the deepest joy, the, what maintains our sanity in existence is stepping out of that. It doesn't matter what I did 50 years ago. What matters is what's happening right now. I'm talking to Valeria, and this is a wonderful afternoon. What a beautiful answer.
0: (laughs) I love when you say that back to the moment and then just listening to each other's voices and what's in front of me, what I can see. I see your picture and I see all the The write-ups that I have here about this interview. And then I look on my right side and I have a plant next to me that has a a form. The leaves, they look like hearts.
2: Yeah, Tons
0: of them. (laughs) It has grown so much that I I always look at it and I wonder like, wow, that's lots of love (laughs) right here. I mean, I love plants in nature. It drew me to you, your work, because you talk about nature in a way that I, it's heartfelt. It's just beyond words, even. The experience of nature itself, to talk to you, to listen to you, even. It's so beautiful. Speaking of nature, and I think I asked you that question before in one of our meetings here about that we are nature, human beings as well. Like the noise that's now around me, that's nature. There's nothing that's not nature, right, John? But it seems like some parts of us reject the idea that we humans have become very mental <laughs> and have almost like been driven by the way we think about things instead of experiencing them. It's also part of nature, isn't it? The nature of being alive, <laughs> getting it right and not and not getting it right, if there is such a thing.
2: Let me say how to, how to phrase this. Yeah, let's go back to an uh, image I've talked about before, uh, a fact um, that I stressed in my book, uh, Tracking Lions, Myth, and Wilderness in Samburu, is that in the Stone Age, we were growing, we human beings, homo sapiens, were growing a big brain and we were getting smart And it wasn't working out very well. Um, Our big brains weren't in fact helping us enough to keep us alive and human beings became on the verge of extinction. And then they invented art. And the art started appearing in the fossil record. And with the invention of art, People started, the population started to explode. So the, the big brain by itself in creating better tools and uh, better presumably tracking strategies and so on wasn't enough to give us the cutting edge to survive. We as a species were dying out. And then when we developed art, when we were able to get out of our brain, get out of our thinking, you, you would imagine. And what I learned in school was that um, practical things like growing a garden or hunting or selling insurance or whatever we do is what's important and everything else is frivolous but that is totally not true, not true. The frivolous things, the art, the presumably music, dance, storytelling, myth, spiritual journeys with the shame into the other world, that's what gave us our power to survive. And then when I tell tell this in, um, in lectures, there's always somebody that raises their hand and says, well, how does drawing a picture give you the power to survive. It takes you away from doing the things that you're required to get food and shelter and so on. And the thing is, it tempers our big brain. Our big brain ties us up into such knots that we have to tell our brain, thank you very much, brain. I appreciate all you've done for me. You're a good friend. But would you just shut up for a moment? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have to walk barefoot across the sand dune. It sounds very simple, right, John? I mean, when I think
0: about the thinking brain, as you call it, I love the way you call it. What is it again? Think too much, know-it-all brain. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's kind of funny when I look at it and I think about it because that is true. It seems like the issue is that some of us have lost control altogether, And then now we are developing mental conditions, mental health issues. Because of that, we cannot stop the brain from taking over and telling us how to live. On this podcast, I interview a lot of therapists and uh, mental health professionals. And that's very sad to see that the loss of control that some of us have come to the point of, of experience as a human being. So with that in mind, what would you say to somebody who is going through, let's say, in this moment, can I stop the think-too-much-know-it-all brain (laughs) from that enjoyment and wonderment
2: that is here now in this moment? Wow, thank you. What a beautiful question. It's not easy, and the first rule of um, seeking this path is that not if you stumble, but when you stumble, laugh at yourself, mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
2: smile and tell your big brain, oh brain, <laughs> you're, you're so dear to me, but you can be a pain in the neck. <laughs> so don't, don't get yeah. disappointed in yourself. <laughs> don't get angry with yourself. Just realize that this is part of your humanity. But always after your brain does something weird, like um, I want to go walk on the sand dune barefoot and watch the ocean waves. And your brain says, yeah, but remember that so and so and such and such a contract and this blah, 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 blah. And just let it go for a few minutes, a few seconds. Let it go and then say, thank you, brain. Now it's my turn to talk. And I'm going to think about my feet on the sand and the sand coming up between my toes and Mother Earth reaching out. I'm pressing down on Mother Earth and Mother Earth is pressing up on me. It's like two lovers hugging. And I'm going to think about that for a while. So you can just forget about that contract for now, you see, (laughs) And, and you'll go back and forth. And 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 your brain will come in and interrupt you, and then you're polite to your brain and say thank you very much, brain. Now it's now we're going for a walk. I'll tell you something. If I've given some workshops from time to time, and they're usually four or five or eight hours or something like that, and we try to practice presence, try try to practice attention to nature, just what I've been talking about. But if you were to come with me, if you were to sit in a canoe with me and say, we're gonna sit in this canoe and we're gonna paddle across the barren lands for a month, you would find that the first week your brain was winning the battle most of the time, the second week your brain was winning the battle sometimes, and by the end of the month, You wouldn't need any directive from me. Nature would be calmly, presently, soft hand on your shoulder all the time. And by the end of a month, you would be present most of the time. I guarantee it.
0: So this is the body itself that is connecting to nature, which the body is nature. So it's almost like they're communicating, isn't it, John? That's what I feel around trees and, and the ocean. It's almost that like there is a direct communication between those elements and my body.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You, you, nature brings you back to your animal self. Oh, right. And your animal mm. self is a very peaceful self. Hmm. Um mm. There is a book I read why zebras don't get ulcers. Yeah. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> uh, by Robert Sapolsky, who's a neurophysiologist at Stanford. And basically he said that zebras live in the savanna with lions. Lions eat zebras. When a zebra sees a lion, it gets afraid and it runs away. Then one of two things will happen. Either the lion will catch the zebra and eat it, end of story, or the lion will get away and then it's, it's away. Now, the thing about zebras is that after it gets away from the lion, it stops being scared immediately. It goes back to eating grass, a very peaceful place. And we know that by studying the hormones in the zebra's bloodstream. But a person, if the stock market goes down, they worry about it. And then even if they survive that, they keep worrying about it. (laughs) So nature, the animal self, is... The the human self, the worrying about the stock market might make us have more money and have the things we want, but it drives us crazy. So we have to go back to that zebra, that animal self that we have to not have to, but it's a, it's a very pleasant journey to go back to that animal self and live in that world where, um, Again, we don't worry about, okay, there was a lion chased me yesterday. Well, that was yesterday. Don't worry about it. Mm. Um, right now, I'm walking through this savanna and eating this really yummy grass and <laughs> the sun's shining and so on.
0: Yet by listening to you, the thinking mind tends to stop even, there's a pause. <laughs> so I really appreciate that, John. What a beautiful gift. A question that came to me. So the animal self and the nature self, they are one and the same.
2: Yeah, I think so. Animal is part of nature. The animal self and the nature self is the same. Spend time with your dog. Spend time with your cat. And um, just, um, you know, your, your cat will just. Mm -hmm. Sit in the sunshine and be totally happy. Sit in the sunshine with your cat. Cuddle up with your cat on a sunny day, and the animal self and the nature self will become one.
0: Mm, Yeah, another beautiful suggestion and invitation. Another question is about the spiritual self. Do you recognize that in you?
2: You you know, people are... the The word spirit is going to be uh, interpreted very differently by very many people Um, and it's very dangerous to create a definition of spiritual self and say this is the correct definition and another definition is wrong Mm. because then you get into dogma and then you end Mm. up having to have a war yeah (laughs) that doesn't work Yes, (laughs) I'm just tell I'll tell you my journey into the spiritual self and that and this is my journey. And you can interpret for yourself how you're going to take that that lesson. So Mulanath, the shaman in uh, the Koryak shaman in Siberia healed me. And I was better. And I, I, I came back the following year and I said, I want to thank you. And she said, well, um, you can thank me, but you really have to go to the spirit world and thank Kutcha. Kutcha the raven. Cause Kutcha the raven was the person that healed you. And this is all written in my book, the Raven's gift. So, I went on this journey with Moolanat into the other world, the spirit world. Okay. And I failed. I could not cross the threshold into the other world, the spirit world, the cosmic world. Now I have friends, a dear friend, um, Jody Weber, who was the choreographer of a dance troupe I worked with, that regularly and routinely goes across the threshold into the spirit world and comes back all the time. When I saw the threshold, I was in this essentially trance state, hallucinogenic state, whatever you want to call it, And I could see the threshold to the spirit world. And I was afraid to cross it. I was afraid if I crossed into the spirit world, I would not be strong enough to come back. And I thought of my children, my wife, my home in the forest, and I wanted to come back. So I was afraid to enter it. And the following day, Olek the Hunter took me out and we went out on the land uh, for two or three days. And he, then he told me, John, every person has a certain amount of power, but it's different, but you only get one package of power. And that power can be focused in different directions. And if, it, if your power was focused into journeying into the spirit world, then you, you could have made that journey. But your power is focused on traveling in the real world. So you don't have enough to do both. So, if you want to talk to Kutha, the Raven, go out on the tundra, Siberian tundra in the winter. You'll get cold, you'll get frozen, you'll get frostbitten, you'll get hungry, and you will meet Kutha. So, what I'm trying to say to you, you're asking about the spirit journey. And this I don't i I absolutely refuse to define. The spirit world or the spirit journey, because then I might define it, and you are different than me. Guaranteed, you're different. So you're going to have to look inside yourself and find the journey. And what is the what's universal about the journey, whether you're Valeria or John or Mulinat or Olek? What's universal about the journey is that you take yourself away from the pragmatic concerns of finding food and shelter and money and all that. You go into the present, you go into seeking some magical existence outside of your ego. something that's bigger than you, something that speaks from a different place and enjoy that, go there. And that becomes not the spirit world, but your spirit world. From what I can see,
0: it seems like everything is spiritual. There's nothing that's not a spiritual world to me, from what I can see. Yeah, I see the way what you just said It's beautiful because it's our own way of experiencing those worlds. Some of us, um, wow, well, don't have enough power to go into different realities and realms,
2: so we choose to be here.
0: Have you watched the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once?
2: No, I have not watched that
0: movie. It's a very interesting movie. Let me put it that way. <laughs> One thing that keeps coming back to me is what you speak of being here now in this moment. And in the movie, they brilliantly, beautifully kind of bring that message to life that it's the people around you, what it, what's happening now that really matters. So I just thought about this, um, and it keeps coming back to me as a powerful message. And by listening to you again today, it's a reinforcement of that, or a remembrance. It's almost like a reminder of that again. I want to mention again the books that you have written, the two books that we spoke about on the podcast, *Tracking and Lion's Myth and Wilderness and *Samburu*, and The Raven's Gift. And also, the last conversation we had, you updated me on a feature film based on The Raven's Gift and also a dance performance based on tracking Lion's Myth and Wilderness in Samburu. So are these projects happening at this time?
2: Yeah, I'm doing a lot of work. I, 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 I get... Um, I get varying kinds of podcasts. Uh, Saturday, I'm doing a podcast uh, with whiskey and a map, which is more focused on the physical adventure. But And the exciting news is that The Raven's Gift might be now converted into a Hollywood film.
0: Oh,
2: wow. I signed a contract um, with the screenwriter and, um, we're not guaranteed, but we're writing a screenplay for it to uh turn it into a um a narrative.
0: I absolutely love arts, and you have been talking about this since we met, how powerful it is, and it's so, so true so it is art might be the alternative to thinking in a way, right, John. <laughs> Might be the what? The alternative to thinking rationally and practically.
2: Like we said, um, we have these think-too-much, know-it-all brains. Thinking is, um, is fine and dandy, but it's overrated. There's a time for being and feeling, and that's what we've been talking about this whole hour is to stop thinking And the alternative is feeling, existing, being.
0: That really becomes true when we are exposed to art, because that's how I feel. Like I'm a lot more in touch with my, as you said, my feelings, my creative mind. It's almost like a different world.
2: Wonderful. Yeah, very well said. And remember, your dog or your cat or that zebra or the elk or the elephant (laughs) <laughs> they don't have language. They don't think in the way we think cuz they don't articulate it in um in words. They feel it, they sense it at a different level. I'm reading this amazing book about the migration of birds and some birds, migrating birds will fly from Alaska to New Zealand, diagonally across the Pacific Ocean, 7,000 miles without stopping. And so let's think about this bird. We're thinking now. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> but let's think about this bird in flight. It can't say to itself, it can't look at its GPS and say to itself, oh, I'm uh, three quarters of the way there, I'm tired, I'm hungry, but I have to steer a little bit north, northeast. It doesn't do that. It's all in a sensory way that I can't put to words because words doesn't describe that sensory journey. But when you're skiing, let's say when I'm skiing, If I'm skiing something very steep and dangerous, I'm more like the bird than the human. I don't think in the sense of articulating, formulating, calculating. It's all a feel of me and the skis. And that's why I love to ski so much. It takes me into a world where my body is like that migratory bird where feeling becomes, as you said, an alternative to thinking. And that's a really glorious place to be. Just try it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, try it on. I have one of my guests. He says that a lot. Nate Taro, he says that a lot. Try it on. You should try it on. (laughs) (laughs) See if you like it. (laughs) Like clothes. How beautiful. Thank you so much again, John, for your presence, bringing this. This remembrance of what life can also be, as the conversation was today, the title, even the consciousness paradox, it is a paradox. It's not just one thing, it's everything. So thank you so much for being the guide, for being the messenger and the message behind it all. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity. This is the third or fourth time we've talked, and I've really enjoyed every one of them and really feel honored that you give me this opportunity.
0: I do have a last question for you and then a technical one. What is one
2: message
0: you wish everyone who listened to this conversation today to take with them?
2: Be in the present whenever you can. Be in the world of feeling whenever you can. Um, Be nice to your brain. Your brain is uh, helpful. And don't let it overrun the castle.
0: I love your sense of humor, too. That helps to be in the moment. That's for sure. (laughs) And my last question is, where can we find more information about you, your books, the upcoming events, and how can we get updates on what you're doing?
2: Yeah, look on my website, uh, www.johnturk.net. You can uh, friend me on Facebook, and um, I, I keep updated. Um, I'm I'm not being as active as I have in the past. Read my books, The Raven's Gift, and Tracking Lions, Myth, and Wilderness in Samburu. Um, I'm not being as active as I have in the past, but read the books, email me. I answer every email that people send me and um, have a dialogue. And I'm here. I'm here to do what I can.
0: Mm, Wonderful. Thank you so much again, John. And we'll talk soon. Bye for
1: now.
2: Thank you, Valeria. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about John Turk and his work, please visit johnturk.net.
0: To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.